when I was a kid, I wanted to be an NFL player. Uh, and now I'm a writer, actor, stand-up comic, and I'm having a great time. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. So my guest today is Jerron Horden. Jerron is a stand-up comedian, writer, and actor. His credits include TBS's The Last OG, Netflix's Historical Roasts, Owns Love Is, and Showtime's I'm Dying Up Here. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Jerron. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, it's an honor. So we always like to start with a round of current curiosities, something that's recently sparked your interest. For me, I was just watching this documentary on HBO called Women of Troy, and it came back a few months ago in March, and I just got around to it, and it was really cool. One, because I went to USC, so it was fun to see all those shots of my college from like back in the day but also I just had no idea how talented Cheryl Miller was like I, I she was always a super cool like sideline reporter but I didn't realize she's like better than her brother she was oh, a better basketball okay, player yeah. than Reggie. You're talking about Reggie Miller's sister yeah for, for a second I, I was I was like is it did it but I forgot she went to she went to SC not and not uh UCLA UCLA yeah Reggie went to UCLA and then when I was watching this documentary she actually had made a verbal commitment to UCLA and then these two twins who were at USC basically persuaded her, like, you got to come. You're either going to play against us or with us. Yeah. And so she changed her mind and went to USC. And that team actually had a lot to do with the creation of the and the prominence of the WNBA. Mm. And it was just really awesome to see how they I don't want to say like they were the bad boys of women's basketball. That seems like mixing metaphors, but they were this really galvanizing spirit that seemed to get everybody's attention. And some of the things were just unbelievably impressive, like Cheryl Miller scoring 109 points in a high school game before she went to USC. I was just like, damn, this is crazy. Uh, so any any fan of sports, yeah, man, If you, anybody who's a fan of sports at all, it's just a really incredible story. And I encourage people to check it out. Women of Troy on HBO. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've never seen that, but I definitely that definitely does sound interesting. Um, what sparked my curiosity recently is just like. I like there was another black dude that was uh, shot by the cops last night in my hometown of Atlanta, unarmed, running away. And it just like my I'm just curious, like, why can't cops get it through their head, like to just stop? killing black people like unarmed uh like well like there's a the the nation has been been protesting been been looted been burning been it's been in the news for the last like two weeks straight like this is like the longest i think that it's ever gone on like this these protests and for black lives matter and you know equality etc etc and it's continuing to happen there was a black dude that was freaking uh lynched in palmdale california 59 miles away from my uh you know from where i live out here in california and it's just like i'm just curious like why is it so hard to just treat people equally yeah it's incredible i mean 
I follow Sean King, who's an activist who helped, uh, who had a role in getting the Ahmad Arbery tape yeah. to national prominence and attention. And it's incredible how every single day there are still multiple acts of police brutality, even as people are like outright outrightly protesting. Yeah. It. And um, it's I, I, I have no idea how it's still happening the way it's happening. And it's so disheartening. Um, yeah, I mean, what the only the only silver lining I've seen is that on the flip side, every day I'm also seeing direct calls to action. Yeah. Yeah. And even in, you know, we're, we're in L.A. right now, every single day in L.A. in different neighborhoods, there have been protests organized and this is still two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks strong, which yeah. is great. A lot of times what I've seen is a few days, a week maybe, but the fact that every single neighborhood still seems to be organizing so strongly mm -hmm. that that's been the kind of only thing that's, that's reassured me a little bit. Yeah. Like it's a silver lining. Yeah. It's a, it's a good, it's good to have allies, like to really feel like they're allies uh, that are, that are uh really fighting for fighting for my people um and it's it's nice uh and i'm not, I'm talking about real people out there not like companies saying oh we we appreciate you because that's all bullshit they just they just want they just they just rolling with what's hot right now you know they they just want to keep getting that dollar that's that's all that matters to them but the real allies who are out there uh, you know, making noise, uh, making calls, posting stuff, uh, and just who genuinely care, who are gen genuinely doing stuff to, uh, to help, you know, talking to their family members, talking to other uh, white people, uh, the, you know, the all lives matters uh, out there, the all lives matter people out there. Like, it, it, it is like you were saying, it is, a, it is a silver lining, but it's just like, I just, it, 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 I would love to really get inside the head of someone who just like, who can't like what what's the big deal about just being a like how hard is it to be a human being you know and to really treat people like equals like it's just i don't know i saw a clip today that the comedian jay farrow was talking about right here in the suburbs of la he he had yep. an officer put a knee to his neck and yeah you know he he survived and it it ended up de-escalating very quickly especially comparatively to george floyd but he was like this is insane like this this happened to me out here i'm just going for a jog in la i'm minding my own business he had his headphones yeah. on he didn't even realize the cops were after him he was looking around to see why like why do they have guns out right now and yeah. uh yeah i mean it, it it boggles my mind and uh so i'm on my end i'm just trying to learn as much as i can and i've had really really powerful conversations with family with friends I have now, you know, an, an ongoing conversation, which I didn't really have before. And yeah, I'm, I'm like, it's unfortunate that it took what it took to get people like me, um, to, to really like lock in in this way. But that, yeah. that's, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm just going to keep paying attention in a way that I wasn't before. Well, thank you. I, on behalf of the black community, <laughs> we, we thank you. Did you see Chappelle's special, the 846 is good. I did. Really good. I did. I watched it last night. I thought it was really powerful. And I was expecting comedy. And uh, for anybody who's seen it, it's not a laugh out loud <laughs> half hour. And it, I thought that actually made it way more powerful. Absolutely. It's it's the first comedy comedy special, quote unquote, comedy special I've ever seen where I wanted to watch it or immediately, like where I watched it immediately again, like 
like immediately just to soak it up you know it's yeah it, it i don't know it's cool. It's just been. I'm, I'm sorry to taint your. Uh, no, no, not at your, all. No. Uh, your podcast with just not at all. It's not tainting it at all. No. It it's just like, it's just been tough. Especially you know you're in a writer's room right now too, and it's just tough being like, like being quarantined and as well as as well as working and then having to like deal with this in the back of your mind where it's like your people are being slaughtered and it's like kind of on the forefront of the news and the, the fight for it. You know the fight for uh, justice and and uh it just like no one to really talk to so yeah thank you no no I, to I, I totally hear you have you found within the comedy community have you found yourself having conversations you know more serious conversations or have you found that the comedy community was always a little more tapped into this than maybe others yeah i mean we it's not like any it's not news to the comedy community or the black community um we're, we've definitely, the comedy community has definitely tapped into it just because of, uh, you know, that's what we do. We observe and we report and, uh, and we try to make light of, uh, you know, the, the situations that are going on around us that might not, you know, that might be a little bit darker than what you would normally want to hear when you go to a comedy club. So, I mean, this is nothing new. Uh, it's, it's, you know what you know what has uh bothered me though with the comedy community is like it's like people who I know who have like a uh who have a voice in this comedy business who haven't been using it to uh get the word out you know that haven't been using it to use their voice to help my people make a change these people who I call friends like that that kind of has has bothered me where it's kind of like it does feel like a line has been like drawn in the sand in that aspect of like where as comics we've I've always felt like I was part of uh like that was my tribe like if you're a comic you're my in my tribe but this this issue and the stuff that's been going on the last couple of weeks um has really has really uh opened my eyes to 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 realize that not everyone in this community is what I I would consider a part of my actual tribe you know and so it's disheartening, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. On the flip side, you now, you now know who your real allies are as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So transitioning to slightly lighter fare, how did you, how did you first find yourself in this community to begin with? What, what first drew you to stand up? So I've, uh, I got runner up uh, class clown when I was in high school and I, I like my friend uh, Obata, he he won uh, class clown and he was a really funny guy, but he was uh, like he was just more likable and more, more well known than I was. So I think that's why he won. It was more of a popularity <laughs> contest. So like in the back of my mind, I always wanted to try stand up just to like prove to myself that, you know, people think I'm funny. And so when I moved to Las Vegas when I was 19, um, I moved out there with no friends, no family. Uh, uh, and I just was alone in the city and I was like, I, I could try stand up here, like, because no one knows me. You know, I always was afraid to, I, 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 I if I would have stayed in Atlanta, I doubt I would have tried it as early as I did. Uh, but because I was in a city where no one knew me, I could just go up there and just express myself. And, and so one day I was, uh, I was working at Ruby Tuesdays at the time and some of the waiters, they were, I overheard them talking about an open mic that they went to. And they were like, all oh, the comedians sucked and all this stuff. And I 
I, one of the guy, one of the waiters was my friend and uh, I was under 21 at the time. And in Vegas, you got to be 21 to get into a lot of the things. So him and I, people would always joke that we were brothers. So I, I, I used his old ID that was expired and I would use that uh, to get into places. And so I, I had to use his ID to go and do my first open mic, uh, which was March 9th, 2010. And I've, oh, I've been doing comedy ever 10 since. years. Yeah. And so I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. So what drew you from Atlanta to Vegas? Um, so I moved from Atlanta to Vegas. I, I used to play college football. I played it for a year at Georgia Southern University. And uh, after I left college, uh, like I, well, I, I played it, I played it for one year. And I, I left when football stopped being like fun, because I played it my, my entire life. And it, it became a, like sort of like a business when you get to college and it just wasn't fun anymore. I mean, we were doing like, like I practiced every day from, from the summer of my going into my freshman year all the way until like my very last day of finals. Like it was just exhausting and it was, it stopped being fun. But my whole life, like I said earlier, I wanted to be an NFL player and I, like I, I wanted to be an athlete. I didn't have a, any backup plan. So like I moved to Vegas to go back into boxing. Uh, and uh, well, I had already been boxing in Atlanta, but I went back, I went to Vegas to like, that was where I was like, this is the, it's like how, you know how um, uh, actors move to LA to, you know, fighters move to Vegas to like go to the next level. And so in my mind, I was like, oh, this is what I'm gonna do. But really looking back, it was just to fill the void of not playing sports anymore. Um, so I, and I, and I just wanted something new. I, I, uh, I was I always been pretty spontaneous and, and, uh, just kind of like, I went to Vegas without even, I moved there without even visiting, you know? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so and you were under just, 21, you said, right? Say that again. You were under 21 when you moved to Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow. I was 19. So I, when I moved there, uh, my mom, uh, and my grandma, they, they came out there with me to like, help me find a place. And. I ended up renting a room from a, a guy and uh, like a, a guy, a really cool guy named uh, Brent. Uh, he was recently divorced and he just had like a lot of room in his house now. So uh, <laughs> I rented a room from him and that was like my first roommate uh, when I was lived out in Vegas and I'm out there 19 years old. I, I transferred uh, jobs. I was working at Ruby Tuesdays in, in Atlanta, transferred to the one in Vegas. And actually, before I even started doing stand-up, I bought a uh, I bought a screenwriter's Bible that like taught you how to uh, format scripts and stuff. Uh, and because I was always interested in storytelling, but I never really wanted to be like a writer. I just wanted to like my plan was like maybe I could get rich if I sell like a movie script. <laughs> so I was like, I have to learn how to write a movie script first. But it was never really like anything I was passionate about. I just taught myself how to format scripts, and I would just practice writing you know, short shorts, uh, short films or whatever, whatever the hell that I, I was doing at that time. Um, and then I started doing stand-up. And when I started doing stand-up, it was right around the time when I started to stop, I stopped boxing because I had a fallout with my trainer. Uh, it, it's a long story. That's a whole different That's story, the next part. That's our next pod. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So when I started doing stand-up, uh, I kind of fell in love with the, the craft uh, and, and I was still doing writing sometimes, like screenwriting sometimes, but my plan was to, because in Vegas, like if you work, it's all service industry. So, you know, my plan was to get a job at a nightclub and work my way up to a bartender. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll just be a bartender and I'll do stand up on the side. Like that was, 
that was my my plan, you know. And then three and a half years passed, uh, and while I was in Vegas, and I just finally decided I needed to uh, move to LA and just like take this to the next level and see see what'll what'll happen. And when I got to LA, I got a job at the comedy store six months after moving here, and that's where I really fell in love with stand up because I got to see. Uh, the greatest comics that are, you know, work in the clubs around the nation, you know, like the, some people that I looked up to is, you know, or that I not looked up to because I never really wanted to be a comic, but just like I was a huge fan of and watching them perform, watching people that were on your level, level, like level up and, and acquire like, you know, uh, success in this field, like that that to me was inspiring. And then it was just like the whole iron sharpens iron type of uh, thing uh, when you're out here in LA because you see a lot of people that are good at what you do. So it only pushes you to go harder. So That's so, it's so fascinating, man. Did you, were you still doing open mics when you came to LA or were you at that point getting, getting no, for stuff? I was absolutely do, still doing open mics. Um, I, I'd only been doing comedy for three and a half years when I moved here. So, I mean, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a headliner. Uh, I'll just let you know that now I've done, I've done a lot of feature stuff on the road, like opening for Joe Rogan, Whitney Cummins, Jeff Ross, like, uh, like I've done a lot of feature work, but because of my, because of writing as well, like once I started getting into the writing field of working with Jeff Ross a lot. Um, and when I got my first jo uh, writing job on, uh, I'm dying up here, you know, that's when my times got started to get split because before I was just doing stand up. But yeah. when I started to do uh, writing, which is like, you know, I, I, I had the writing, the screenwriters book before I even started doing stand up. So when I started to find success in the writing, writer, writing field back in 2015 was, was when I started to like get paid to write. Um, that's when like my, you know, my time got split up between my, you know, two of my, my two passions. And so I've just been balancing both for the last few years. I mean, up until, uh, you know, this whole quarantine, I've been doing stand up consistently. Yeah. I was always amazed cause I was, I've been following you on Instagram for a while and you would post these late set times and I knew you were in a writer's room too. So I was yeah. just like, how does this guy have the energy? He has like a midnight or a 1230 AM set time and he's coming from a writer's room and he has to go back to the writer's room the next day. How do you yeah. keep your energy up and stay sharp in both? You know, honestly, the, uh, the comedy store, it, it's a tool that, uh, uh, teaches comics how to do a lot of, do a lot more than just be great at, comedy you know it teaches you how to network how to how to keep that energy up you know like throughout the night how to, to smooth and all this all this extra stuff you need to know how to do in this city and and eventually it got to the point where like I mean I worked in nightclubs and then you know I also worked at the comedy store and you know so I'm, I was used to that the schedule of just being up late all the time and then I'm I'm like a I don't like to waste I don't like to uh uh, I'm a morning person. Like, I don't like to wake up late. Like, I'm not like a, I don't think I ever wake up at noon. Maybe, maybe like I'll wake up and then go back to sleep, but I'm not someone that can sleep until, until the afternoon. Like I'm up probably every morning at like seven. So it's just like, I'm a morning person and then I, and I'm a night owl. So I've, I'm used to running off of four or five hours of sleep. Like this quarantine has been the first time I've actually been getting real sleep in, in years. 
like wow. seriously in in years in what is this 2020 i started comedy in 2013 or 2010 yeah probably yeah, 10 I'm years i'm glad you're finally getting some rest <laughs> some yeah but it was hard rest. it's hard to get rest it's hard yeah. because like it's all you always feel like there's something that you could be doing you know yeah yeah so. when you were when you were doing open mics how are you how are you gathering your material i know you know some people will write it in their phone some people will will have a notebook what were you how are you collecting your thoughts before you went up on stage before i went up on stage i uh, just kind of just write down like the topic or like like i i don't really like to save stuff in my phone i don't like to like put my set list or anything in my phone i just like to i prefer to like write it down so it helps it stick if i if i write something down once i'll remember it so i'll just write like the topic that i was going to talk about or, or wanted to talk about and as far as like generating material it would just be any throughout my throughout the day i'll just be, i'll just scribble stuff uh anything i might think is funny and then if i go to an open mic i'll just test it out and then when i go and do it do it a set i'll uh just see, I'll just try to find the, uh, the, the legs for the joke while I'm on stage. Uh, anything that I couldn't write down before I got on stage or, or throughout the day. And I'll just test it, just test it in front of the audience. Like it's, that's why it's been so hard for me to write material during this quarantine is because like, I, I just need to, I just need the timing, you know, like I know this idea is funny, but I just need to, I just need to know, and I know the beats of it. I just need to know the timing and the best way to set it up and, and then a lot of the tags come in just in the moment just it's just when you're with connecting with an audience a, a lot of a lot of things just happen organically that you can't create just sitting at home trying to write stuff and be funny one of the things i find so funny about the path to rising up in stand-up is you people will generally start in open mics but open mics are almost a hostile environment to start in because i've only done a handful but from my limited experience and from friends of mine, sometimes, not always, but in certain open mics, you might find yourself in a situation where, you know, the the other people watching are usually comics. There's usually not like an audience for an open mic. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times they're either focused on their own set and not really paying attention to you, or they're not really rooting for you to succeed because it's to them, it's a zero sum game, right? Because some people yeah. might see your success as, uh, their inability to succeed or they think, you know, oh, this guy, Ben, he sucks. I can do way better than this guy. <laughs> um, yeah. Get this guy off the stage. Let me let me go up there. How did you how did you navigate open mics and choose where you wanted to go up? And because that, that real time feedback you're talking about is really important and it can be hard sometimes to get that in open mics. Well, yeah, I mean, I you just have to remember that it's just an open mic like any, you know, if, if you if you're honest with yourself, you can be honest with other people and it's just like the like you're saying it's you know i when i'm in when i if i'm at an open mic which is all we're always it's all filled with comedians it's like we're we only care about our ourselves that's just how it is so when i'm when i'm not on stage i only care about me and when i'm on stage i only care about me so how am i going to be upset or be uh feel like you're being hostile when you are there to because you're you care about you like you just have to remember that, that it doesn't really it doesn't really matter you know it, you're you the, the best part about open mics would be doing them with friends 
that way after everyone goes up, you just give each other tags or help each other with your jokes. And then you, when you go to a, a real show, that's when it counts. That's when it matters. You know, open mics don't really matter. It's just getting over that. I mean, it, it, I started comedy in Vegas with, and it's not like on the strip or anything. It's like the outskirts of Vegas. It's bar crowds. Like it's really, really hostile. And LA it's like, cupcake the open mics i mean you know like yeah. it's it's just it's just people it's just who cares you know like how do i i can't even think of how to put it like like in vegas you're you're there are people that that are at the open mics not only are they're not only are there comics there but there are people there that are just gambling on the keno machines at the bar that they're watching sports center that they don't care so it's like you know that's tough if you're trying to do a show like that. So an open mic where it's just filled with other comics that are just there trying to get work. Like it doesn't even matter. It's just a gym. Would they, when you were in Vegas, would they heckle you at all or at yeah, open of mics? Course. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. You I mean, yeah. you get heckled, you get, it's just part of it. It's just, so how, how have you learned, it. how have you learned to uh, deal with hecklers? I feel like that's a skill. Just listening, just li listen and be positive you can when you're doing when like what i've learned from a friend with crowd like crowd work essentially or like talking to someone in the crowd or whether they're heckling or if you're interacting with them is to just be if you're positive there's more stuff to play off of uh rather than if you start negative if you just start negative you run out of things you can insult someone but then you'll run out of stuff but if you're positive and you go with the flow and you listen to what they're saying it's a lot easier to learn about the person and if you want to insult them uh, you can you can easily use it against them and you already have the crowd on your side because you're even more likable. So it's really just playing into the, you know, it's just playing into a, a lot of factors that I, I, some I don't even, can't even tell you. It's just, it's just like, you know, like you're asking me a question like that. If you were asking me how to do it, I would just say, you just have to get on stage and just see, you just have to yeah. feel it. Like that's the, that's the best way. You just have to feel it. And, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. The more, the more you do it, the more unstoppable you become. But if you're like rusty, like most comics are nowadays with the, with this lockdown, it might be a little difficult to deal with a heckler or it might, you might not be as, as, uh, as in the moment or because you're not, you know, it just reps. If you're doing 10, if you're doing five sets a night, three sets a night, like you're, you're warmed up. You've, you've, you've seen it all. You, there, you, there's something that you might've thought that you wish you would have said to this person that was heckling yesterday but it's all good because you're going to be able to use that again and and if you're if you're doing what you're supposed to do which is you know is is getting up every day and you're staying in the pocket you're going to you're gonna you're going to be able to use that joke that you wish you could have used or wish you would have thought of when you know and you just add it to your repertoire it's it's just as simple as that i like that a lot and i like that whole point about positivity it, it reminds me of kind of an offshoot of something I learned in improv, which is the, the, the principle of yes and instead of no. So when you're, yeah. you know, in an improv, when you're just being negative toward the scenario, the scenario ends pretty quickly Yeah. But with what you're saying about being positive, it opens up so many fun avenues. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how that translates to stand up as well. Yeah. Cause it's, it's even, it's fun to like take a heckler, someone that's heckling and just, you know, get to know like if you like you're like you're saying positive yes anding them you could take it and turn it a whole different way 
and there'd be more more for you to use throughout the show you know even if you want to if you want to be mean to them and hurt their feelings in front of everybody and it works boom you got it you know or you can keep them keep using them and hitting that button anytime you want to throughout your whole set it's just all just organic moments i mean you you get it you said you do improv so so you get it it's when you're in front of a live audience you just ride that wave and you just wherever it takes you you just have to be able to adjust because if you can't then that's when you maybe won't do as well which happens to all of us all the time so 100 percent. so as you're getting these these additional reps and you're working your way up how did you get to the point where where you started to get booked for stuff was it you you other comedians recognize you and they have shows and they give you some time or how did it work for you in your scenario uh, it worked for me just um, people seeing me, people see me do roast battle a lot, like we're doing roast battle out here has helped me just be seen by a lot of people because it was such a big show when, when I moved here, like when I moved here, I, I was there from the very beginning of roast battle, like when it first started back when it was just an open mic. So like, as it grew, if you were performing on that show on Tuesday nights, like, you know, a lot of people that were fans of comedy would see you. A lot of your peers would see you. A lot of of, of uh, comics that were on a bigger level would see you, and then they would take you out. That's how I went on, started going out with Joe, and that's how I started going out with Whitney and Jeff. Is for, all from roast battle. You're such a nice guy. I'm always. I, I meet so many comedians who are nice people, and they can say these vicious, amazing insults. <laughs> how do you? How do you channel? How do you channel your mindset uh, for a roast? How do you prepare for a roast? How do you go up there and do what you do? For roasting, um, it's more about just having fun. Uh, uh, just having really good jokes than having fun and, and saying things with a smile on your face. Because when I, when I first moved to LA, I just had a lot of, I had a, a huge chip on my shoulder and I had a lot of hostility built up and a lot of unworked issues that were just living inside of me that I was, you know, the stuff that I carried, carried with me every day and so I was I was pretty hostile when I first moved here and even when I was doing roast battle early on it was like it was more of like a uh, like a uh, for me it was more of just how can I be mean as possible instead of just how can I have fun and so once I just understood that I basically I just took mushrooms when you take mushrooms it helps you be a better person I, mean, I, I wasn't always like the nicest guy and and not like that I was mean, but more that I just like, I'm, I'm always a, I've always been like a very uh, uh, focused person where it was like, I, I kind of know what I want to do. And if you're not, if you're in the way of that, then I don't even want to waste my time dealing with you. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. but that, but that's not, not one, not one, not, not only is that not polite, but it also, uh, it also isn't good for your career, you know? And it's easier to just be like, you know, the, the what's the saying? You get more uh, bees with honey or flies with honey. Uh, you just just be nice, listen to people, because uh, you never know who whose day you could make or who's going to be able to help you out or who is going to help you out. And, and I started understanding that, you know, it isn't about me. It's about like us. Like I've be, I used to be an individual, like someone who really just cared about me. But, and nowadays I care more about like the effect, the positive effect that I can leave on somebody because I, at the end of the day, I just want to be, uh, 
I want to be liked. I want to be, um, I, and I, I want to be like a role model for a positive change. I, I want to be known for something positive. That to me is the most important. Um, that's to me what's most important. Uh, I just want to leave my mark on this world in a positive way. That 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 means more to me than making a lot of money or any anything that could come from the entertainment field or being famous or anything. I just want to be just leave a positive change on this world. That 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 will make me happy. That's super inspiring, and I think you not only do that just by being a funny individual and and through comedy, but your specific shows that you've worked on. Like when I watched the historical roast, I actually learned a lot of really important things, you know, Yeah. <laughs> um, about really important people, both good and bad. Some things I didn't know. And I was just like, wow, that, that actually happened. That person did that. Yeah. It's crazy. We, it's, I'm sorry to stop you, but it's, it's crazy. You say that like they should teach roasting. Roasting should be a, a class in, uh, in school. You know, if, if you pair that with history, I learned so much in those seven weeks that I worked on that show than I, than I ever did in history class. And just focusing on those targets or the, the, the historical figures, having to research them and write jokes about them, you retain that information. You know, like when it, when it comes to teaching youth, it's like more than, if you can engage in like a way that combines the lesson with like, like something creative or something that's going to help involve everyone or make everyone want to be involved. That's how you, that's how I think that's a better way to educate than just the traditional boring system, you know, that, that students have been stuck in for centuries. That was my thought too. When I watched the historical roast, I actually wish that my teachers had shown me that when I was in school, because that was way more valuable than any book report or anything I did. That was, that was incredible. Yeah. So that's actually a good bridge into the writer's room. What did you, were there any learning lessons or surprises as you went from stand up into writer's rooms? Um, lessons. Uh, yeah. I mean, just speaking in front of people, um, <laughs> you know, like trying to get your ideas, ideas across. It's still nerve wracking to, you know, pitch something you think might work in a writer's room. Not like nerve wracking, but sometimes, I mean, and I put it like this, when I'm in a, when I'm new in a writer's room or I don't know anyone, like it's, you know, I still have those, those nerves of, you know, wanting to add to the show, wanting people to think that I'm talented and wanting to the showrunner to think that I, uh, I share the same vision as, as they do. So that, you know, it is, but with comedy, it helps, you know, it helps you. Like if I didn't, if I wasn't on stage or wasn't a performer, it might be a little bit more difficult. You know, I've worked with writers who are just writers and, uh, and you know, they have, they have a way of some, or, you know, I, I'll put like this. It, I don't, it's weird. I don't know. Some writers who I know who are, are just writers, like a lot of them came up in, like they went to school to be a writer. So they have like a way that they look at things and the way that the way that they are in a writer's room. And it's different than, than me because I, I, uh, I got in the writer's room because what from standup from, because people saw me do standup comedy. And, and I also had like, happened to have like some stuff that I've written. So it, yeah, it, I, I definitely think standup helps a lot. It helped me a lot. 
Fair enough. And so creatively, when you're sent off to outline or script, is your is your what's your process like? And I'm wondering if if it's different at all from when you're trying to write jokes for a set. You're talking about when I'm working on something of my own, like outside uh, in a of- writer's room. If you're if you're sent off on an assignment, are you? For example, I know people who write. For example, like I know people who write to music. Um, is that like I'm just trying? I'm wondering like what oh, your yeah, process yeah. is, and if it's if your process for writing for a show is different or similar from when you're trying to write for a set of yours. Uh, no, well, writing for me when I write, I just I like like you're saying, I set I set the mood of if I'm sent off to write a script. Uh, you know, usually the well when I was on Love Is, which was which was an our like romance it was our drama but like a romantic comedy we it would say like that it, it was it had a drama in it but it had a lot of comedy in it the showrunner she just trusted me uh marva Kapil, she trusted me to like uh she trusted my a lot of the stuff that i would pitch to her she trusted my vision for the show so she gave me a lot of free reign so um anything that we talked about in the room that she wanted i would just make sure to incorporate that but put my own flavor on it and like like yeah pr- writing to music, something that would put me in the mood or, or like, I, I like to write at night. Like if I'm writing a script, I like to write when the, when, when the, everything around me is quiet. I just like to focus on that, you know, candle, candle lit, just to smell that, have my noise canceling headphones on like that, that just whatever that, that's what gets me in the mood to just lock in. And then, Let's say you're not in a writer's room and your sole focus is stand-up. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you structure your day if you're just focused on stand-up for the day? It used to be gym. Uh, while I'm at the gym, I'm just thinking about stuff. Um, when I get home, I'll have a few premises that I might kick around, or I might go to a friend's house and kick. We just kick. We'll kick around ideas that we've both been thinking about, and uh, we'll just help each other make it make each other's jokes funny and then later on in the day i'll sign up for an open mic before my spot and then go do you know do the open mic do a spot and if if it worked or if i got something out of it then it was productive you know yeah i also just started like in the last last six months like just writing down my thoughts just write it what is it what is it a lot of people do it like when you wake up in the morning and just oh, write. morning pages what is it? I think in, in film school, we call it the morning pages. I had to do that for a class. Okay, yeah. I'll just yeah. like write my dreams, the dream that I might have had and or how I'm feeling, whatever, just to purge. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that in the daytime. I do that throughout the day as well. Just anytime I need to get something off my chest or anytime I want to say something that I don't want to say out loud, I'll write it down just so I can get just purge it, you know? Yeah. Before we wind down with some fun rapid fire questions, I, I was super curious, like how do you, when you have a set that doesn't go as well as you may have wanted, how do you, how do you process that and move on from it? Cause I think from the few open mics I did, I remember being like, Whoa. And just like thinking about the si- the silences. And even if it went well, I would, I, I somehow would like really fixate on, on the silences a lot. And I was like, whoa, this is like, it can be pretty scary when you go up and it's not landing. 
Um, I'm sure reps help with that, but in your experience, how have you, how do you process? Cause I've, I, you know, as you mentioned, there are people who are super experienced who just don't have a good night sometimes. Well, that happened. Yeah. It happens to everyone, but it still sucks though. Like when, if I have a bad set, I'm, I feel bad about it until I do my next one. Yeah. Simple as that. Like I, I care. So if I, when I have a bad set, which happens, you know, often I'm not going to act like, I'm, you know, some perfect, <laughs> perfect comedian, but it happens. And uh, when I have a bad set, I, I just, it sucks until I get on stage again. So <laughs> I'll try to, if I have a bad set at eight o'clock uh, and I, and there's places I can potentially get on at 10, 11, you know, I, or later even 1am at, the, you know, if it's a fallout spot at the store, I will go and to erase that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you reevaluate your material from a set that didn't go well? Because sometimes it might have just been the crowd, right? Uh, yes, it's some, sometimes it's the crowd, but it's it's your job to do it. So you can like re listen to the listen to the like when I played football, I, I played defensive back, and it's like the most isolated position, you know, because you're out there covering. Like people only see what you when you mess up, you know. If someone catches a, a touchdown over you. It's like the, it, it, it was like, you know, you got to have a short memory because you have to go back out there the next day and, and, or the next play and do, you know, make sure that that doesn't happen again. So that's the kind of mindset I try to apply to it, but it's still, it still sucks when I have a bad set. And, and, and I, I do try to remember that it is what, you know, oh, I could have done this better. Oh, they sucked a little bit, but it's just part of being a human, uh, being a human in, in this in this creative field because it's high highs and low lows, you know, it's like you only, for me, like you really fixate on the lows, the lows instead of the highs that you might've had the day before, you know? Yeah. So it also shows, like you said, that you care, you care about what you do, right? So if you, if you have a bad set and you don't feel a little bad about it, I mean, that, that's one, that says one thing as well. So the fact that you actually, feel a little bad is actually a good I, I think there's some good in that because it shows you care about what you're doing and you care to get better yeah and it's you know when uh, when you have a bad like you grow that's the only way you can grow you know is by having bad sets any your great the greatest comic you've seen your favorite comic is that great because he has had a lot of bad sets no one has no no comic is, has had great sets every time and you would consider, oh, that's a really good comic. Like, no, that's you. That doesn't. It doesn't work like that. You have to. You have to bomb. That's the. That's the only way you get better is from bombing. So. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's so easy to forget that when we watch the super polished, you know, Netflix stand-up special, that's usually the result of 150 plus shows of testing out that material, right? Probably more than usually more than that. Yeah. Yeah, I always. More than I'm that. Just, yeah. And it's funny because sometimes I'll see, I'll see the hour that a comedian puts out and I'll remember having seen them in LA perform that hour and I'll notice, oh, they changed that. That was yeah. a landing. They changed that. That Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, cool. Yeah. That's part of the process. Yeah. It's part of the process. That, exactly. And so, and that's the way it, all this shit is until you get what you want, which is, I don't know. I mean... I say I, I know the things I want now, like what I have want written down, what I have written down or in my mind when people say, what do you want? It's like, 
you know, that's what you say you want, but who knows, shit could change, like, shit changes all the time, you know, so it's, but right now, comedy and writing are very, very important to me, so that's what I care about, but who knows where I'll be in, in 10 years. Well, we're excited to see where you, where you head and where you're headed. Um, so I'll, I'll just, I'll just wrap it up with some fun little rapid fire questions. Okay. What's an app that you can't live without? I guess I'll say Spotify. Yeah. Spotify. Cause I write the music. I work out to music. Do you have a specific playlist or, or something that you like? Yeah. To write to? I, I just have one playlist. Oh, a playlist that I write to. Yeah. When I'm well, when I write, it's usually, it depends on what I'm writing, like what kind of scene I'm writing. But normally, if I have music playing, it's music that doesn't have words. So it's like jazz or it's like a chill, chill hop is what I guess it's called. Chill hop. It's like a, it's like house music, but it's slowed down and it has like a hip hop beat, but it's quiet. It's quiet. It's weird. If you know, just look it up. It's, it's pretty cool. I'll look it up. That sounds awesome. I listen to this Spotify playlist. I believe it's called Morning Jazz. And yeah. Also, oh, I, yeah. I can't work when it has when there's songs with lyrics. So I have to listen like you to something without lyrics. And that playlist is awesome for that. Yeah. Morning Jazz is I, I, I think I've listened to that one on uh, Spotify as well. But Coffee Table Jazz is. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, that's a good one, too. Yeah. Like yeah. That. That's a great one, too. If anyone like us likes to write to songs that don't have lyrics, those two playlists are, yeah. are definitely great. And who would you like to play you in a movie about your life? Shit, I don't know. I mean, do they have to look like me? No. Just to just to throw everyone off, I'll say Paul Giamatti. Oh damn! Okay. I like Paul <laughs> Giamatti. He's a really good actor. He's awesome. I love Paul. He's he's one of my favorite. He's not my favorite actor. My favorite actor. Oh, you know what? Okay, my favorite actor is Jamie Foxx. So I'll say Jamie Foxx. Oh, okay, awesome. That would be a fun movie. I mean, yeah. very, very different casting between Paul Giamatti and Jamie Foxx. Two very well, different pa movies. Paul Giamatti is one of my favorite actors, but I was trying to think of someone who looks like me. Yeah. But I couldn't think of anyone who looks like me. So I, I, I just, I was like, fuck it. Let's go with Jamie Paul. Fox. But, but I, I'm going to say Jamie. I'm going to say Jamie. Um, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? Sing. Where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? Italy, Venice, Italy. And what's your jam as in a song you like to jam to? I don't know. Right now I'm listening to like a lot of Baby, Lil Baby and uh, Gunna. Those are my favorite like musicians to listen to right now. I don't really have like my go-to song. I'm not really a music head. Like I write to music, I work out to music, but I don't seek out new music. I just kind of like, I, I have a few guys that I like or a few artists that I like. And when their stuff comes out, you know, I'll listen to it whenever I get to it. But I'm not, I don't, I've never been like, you know, crazy about having the latest music. Fair enough. I'm more of a podcast guy myself. And then when I need music recommendations, I'll just ask a friend who's very into yeah. music. Yeah. And uh, we, we actually, we have a Spotify playlist we make of all our guest recommendations. Is there one song in particular by either of those artists that you want us to throw on there? Yes. As uh, your contribution? Yes. yes. Lil Baby just... He just released a new song uh, that is speaking to what's going on right now in the world. Uh, it's called The Bigger Picture. Awesome. We'll, we'll add that to the playlist. Yeah. And add that uh, to the playlist. lastly, lastly, where can people find you on social media or online? At Jerron Horton. Awesome. Yep. And people, if you want to check out the pod, you can do that on Instagram at HDYDPod. 
thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Yo, thank you for having me, Ben. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm sorry it took took me a week to get to do this podcast, but thanks for having me. Thanks for caring enough to reach out. I appreciate it. Of course.